I'd like to wish you all a very blessed Easter um, for this year, 2023, and also to give a, a big thanks to um, the, the many members of our parish who made these beautiful ceremonies possible for, for Holy Week um, with the scola and all our preparation for, for the singing and the, the sacristy, the, the uh, Gadosh brothers with, with all their work in the sacristy and the servers, the many servers we have during this time, um, all of their labors of love in, in order to make the liturgy with the proper solemnity as befitting the respect and love we have for our Lord. The epistle for Easter Sunday is taken from St. Paul's letter to the Corinthians. Brethren, purge out the old leaven that she may be a new dough, as you really are without leaven. For Christ, our Passover, has been sacrificed. Therefore, let us keep festival, not with the old leaven, nor with the leaven of malice and wickedness, but with the unleavened bread of sincerity and truth. Please stand for the gospel. The gospel is taken from the 16th chapter of the Gospel of St. Mark. At that time, Mary Magdalene, Mary the mother of James and Salome, brought spices that they might go and anoint Jesus. Very early on the first day of the week, they came to the tomb when the sun had just risen. And they were saying to one another, Who will roll the stone back from the entrance of the tomb for us? And looking up, they saw that the stone had been rolled back, for it was very large. But on entering the tomb, they saw a young man sitting at the right side, clothed in a white robe, and they were amazed. He said to them, Do not be terrified. You are looking for Jesus of Nazareth, who was crucified. He has risen. He is not here. Behold the place where they laid him. But go, tell his disciples and Peter that he goes before you into Galilee. There you shall see him, as he told you. Please be seated. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Ghost, amen. Dear Reverend Father, dear faithful, on Holy Thursday, as we were having tenebrae here in the church, at a certain point, as as I was sitting in in one of these pews, the the sun came right directly behind this stained glass window that we see above the altar of our Lord's resurrection. And it it lit up that that stained glass window with, with a great brilliance, such as when I I looked at it, and I just kind of couldn't look at it for very long. It was, it was so bright. And at, at the very same time that, that this was happening, the scola was, was here in, in, the, in the nave, singing one of the beautiful responsories for Holy Thursday. And this responsory has our Lord addressing the apostles. And he's, he's saying to the, to the apostles, You are going to take flight. I am going to be offered for sacrifice the hour has come where the Son of Man will be delivered over into the hands of sinners. And this contrast that in one moment between the glorious mysteries in the stained glass window and the sorrowful mysteries and what was being sung by the scola is a picture of our life. It's a representation of what we may call the Christian paradox. The paradox of Christ in his life the fact that he gains victory through defeat. Our Lord defeated death by dying. He was victorious 
over his enemies by being defeated by his enemies. He won by losing. How did this happen? The Pharisees, for one, were certainly convinced that they were defeating our Lord by putting him to death, as any one of us would if we had an enemy and we were able to kill him. But what was actually happening? What was actually happening is they were assisting him to gain a great victory over them by putting him to death. Our Lord needed the cross in order to gain the victory that he had chosen, the victory that he wanted. And they had no idea that the cross was his chosen instrument of victory. Who would have guessed that that was his means of defeating them? You know how when someone wins an Olympic competition, they they win a gold medal, after the competition is over, they are taken to a stand and they are made to, to get up a few steps and rise up above other people. And then a medal is placed over their shoulders or in the, in the earliest Olympics that were performed in the Greek world, they were given a crown of laurel to be put upon their brow. And then everybody acclaims them at that moment. And you know how sports figures are often want to, to give some sort of symbol of their victory by, by raising their arms up in this in this manner to indicate I have defeated, I have conquered my my opponents in this competition. Well what were the Pharisees doing to our Lord? They were raising him up above other people by lifting him up on a cross. They were putting upon his brow not a crown of laurel, but a crown from a bush, a crown of thorns. And they were not only giving to him this symbol of victory with the, with the extension of the arms, but they were even affixing him to that cross as if they wanted that victory, that sign of victory, to be permanent. We could say, in a sense, to be eternal. And so, our, without them knowing it, they were giving to our Lord his victory over them. They stood at the foot of the cross mocking him when, in fact, he had just gained a victory over them. What about the closest followers of our Lord, the apostles? Did, did they realize that in his death, our Lord had just accomplished the greatest victory in the history of the world? Well, as you know, they also did not understand. They were not with the program, even though our Lord had told them many times that this is what was going to happen. This was his plan for the victory. Just think of what they would have done if they had, had listened and, and considered that, that after our Lord died, it was his plan to, to rise from the dead and that this was how he was going to accomplish his victory, that, that his death was going to be a means for him to conquer evil. What would they have done after they had taken him down from the cross? Well, they would have taken his, they would not have buried his body, of course not. They would have taken his body to a special room, and they would have assembled there and gathered around his body and waited for that incredible moment when his body would come back to life. They would have so desired to be a witness of his resurrection. But of course, they didn't believe in the resurrection. They didn't realize somehow, even though they had been told that our Lord was going to rise from the dead. What was the apostles' problem? Was the apostles 
the apostles' problem, we, we may say, consisted in, in two things. First of all, that they wanted our Lord's victory, but they did not want the victory that he wanted. They wanted him to have a victory in a different way. Secondly, the, the win of the victory. They, they wanted to choose when his victory would happen, and our Lord did not want it. So the, so the when and the how of the victory, they had in their minds for him. They, unlike the Pharisees, they, they, they loved our Lord. They wanted, they wanted him to have victory over his enemies, but they didn't want it to happen in the way that he wanted it and when he wanted it to happen. So they, they, for instance, they, they wanted him to, to reign on Palm Sunday, to, to come in triumphantly into, into the city of Jerusalem and perhaps uh, go to a special place and sit on a throne and, and rule over people, to dominate physically over people, to govern them with some sort of temporal power. This is the victory that they wanted for our Lord. You know how many times in the gospel he is taken and, and, and people want to seize him and make him king. And every time our Lord slips through their hands, because that's not his plan. That's not the victory that he wants. Did our Lord want to reign? Yes, of course he wanted to reign. But did he want to reign in that way of a temporal king that compels people by force to submit to him? No. No, that was not the victory he had chosen. Our Lord wanted to reign by extending his arms on a cross to embrace the world, to conquer the whole world by this act of love, by dying for the sins of mankind. That is the victory that he wanted. He wanted to conquer the hearts of all men, not conquer their bodies. He wanted to conquer evil by suffering evil. He shows us, he wanted to show us that evil is overcome by doing what is good in the midst of evil. This is how you overcome evil. This is how you have your victory over evil. You're surrounded by godlessness. You're hated. You do what is good in the midst of that evil. You don't start yelling. You don't start hating those who hate you. You persevere in the good, and you suffer the effects that come from evil people disliking you. You, you continue in that way. Sometimes, even, it may mean that you are put to death. Even if it means you are put to death, you persevere in the good. And that, that is your victory. That is how you overcome. This is the victory of our Lord. He dies for the good and so conquers evil. The apostles did not understand that our Lord would triumph over his enemies by dying at the hands of his enemies. They did not understand that he had just conquered the world in a greater way than any king ever has or ever will conquer the world. They did not understand that, that soon they themselves would be preaching that our Lord showed himself to be God by his death and resurrection. That we, they would be approving fully the saying of St. Paul, far be it from me to glory in anything save in the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ. 
They did not understand that people throughout the ages would make crucifixes and put them in places of honor, or they would make beautiful crucifixes like the one we have here in this church, where our Lord is, is on an instrument of torture, but the crucifix itself is gilded, representing that he's reigning, he's triumphing from the crucifix. They did not understand that, that throughout the centuries, people would have a ceremony where they would come to church, they would genuflect to give reverence, to submit themselves to the cross. They would kneel down and kiss the feet of the one crucified, as we all did on Good Friday. So what did they do? What did they do? Without realizing it, they assisted our Lord even more to accomplish his victory Instead of putting him in a nice room and waiting for his resurrection, they buried him. They put him in a stone vault, and they rolled this heavy stone in front of the vault, and they went away. Our Lord is left there, seemingly the end of the story. This is it. He's dead. He's buried. What's left? After that, it was, as I say, good for our Lord's victory, for him to be put into a tomb for three days to make his resurrection more sensational, to make the fact of his death obvious and the fact of his resurrection even more obvious. What about the Pharisees? The Pharisees were not aware that they had just been defeated. They thought that they had just accomplished a great victory, and what they wanted to make sure is because they were insecure in their victory, they wanted to make sure that they would seal their victory, that nothing could snatch that victory away from them. So in order to ensure that the victory would remain, because they were paying attention to our Lord and had heard his prediction that he would rise from the dead, they hired soldiers to be at the tomb, and they put a seal on the tomb so that everybody would be aware if the the tomb had been tampered with, if the apostles had come and tried to get the body out and would claim that he had risen. And so their attempt literally to seal their victory only sealed their defeat because what they were doing was providing, first of all, witnesses for the resurrection, those soldiers who were there and went afterwards and said, this incredible thing happened. He came out of the tomb and he did not break the seal. We were terrified. There was an incredible light. He rose from the dead. Pharisees provided human witnesses for our Lord's great victory, thinking that they were sealing their own victory. My dear faithful, we have to try to make sure that we are like the apostles after the resurrection, rather than like the apostles before the resurrection. We have to be careful not to choose our own victory and not to choose the timing of the victory That's for our Lord to do. 
He chooses the nature of the victory. He chooses when the victory will happen. It's for us just to associate ourselves with his victory. When is the victory? The victory is, is already. Dom Vanier, this Benedictine monk who's wrote some beautiful spiritual books, he says, we have to always remember that our Lord has won all of our battles a long time before we were ever born. The victory is already accomplished. This is why we rejoice on Easter Sunday. Our Lord has gained the victory. We, as I say, we just have to associate ourselves with it. How do we do that? How does the good triumph over evil? We triumph over evil in the same way that our Lord triumphed over evil. We imitate what he did. The victory is by the cross. What do you do in a world gone mad, in a world that hates the good? What do you do in a world when people are upset when you say that a woman cannot be a man or a man cannot be a woman? What do you do when people get violent? People can get violent if you say that that it's murder to commit an abortion, to, to terminate the life of a child in the womb. What do you do? You live the moral law in your own life. You persevere in the good, and then you are willing to suffer the consequences. If you are persecuted for the good, if you are persecuted by, by evil people, if you're canceled, for instance, because you are doing the good, you participate in the victory of our Lord. You are triumphing over evil. How does the good triumph in a church gone mad when, when it seems like all liturgies are tolerated, like the right of, of Zambia or whatever, or the new Pacamama right that they're designing, but, but every right but the one that best represents our Catholic identity, where, where people are, are suspect or of, of being having a lack of unity with the mind of the church, if they want to show respect to our Lord in, in the Blessed Sacrament, when there's so much heterodoxy out there, when you hear about these, these synods or, or things that are said by the, by the Pope, and you're like, what, what in the world is, is being said? What, do you, what recourse do you have in the midst of these things? It is the same thing. You persevere and following our Lord. You persevere in being faithful to our Lord, being reverent to our Lord, paying homage to our Lord, despite the consequences that, that may come upon you, despite the, the, the fact that there may be repercussions for you in your life. What we have to do is, is build up the spiritual capital of the world for the honor of our Lord Jesus Christ. Two things, especially think we must seek to do, first of all, to live our lives in the state of grace, to have this love for the life of our Lord, that same life that rose from the dead, that is in our souls, the life of grace. Cherish the life of grace above all things. And then secondly, as I say, to persevere in the good even when it's not popular, especially when it's not popular. And most, the most difficult thing, even when the good is persecuted, even when you have to suffer because you are doing what is right before our Lord Jesus Christ. 
if you do this, my dear faithful, then, then your lives will be like the life of our Lord. They will be like that moment of tenebrae. Perhaps there is suffering in this life, but that, that glory of the resurrection, that victory of the resurrection will continually be shining a light on your life. And in the end, of course, you will share with the victory of our Lord forever in heaven. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Ghost. Amen.